We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at BlueWire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 191, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored betonline.ag. It's usually unmissable opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, but today it's not even an opinion. We are talking cold, hard facts because I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me today is Samuel Marsden, FC Barcelona's ESPN correspondent, who has also written for The Guardian, Sport, and most other places you read about your football. Thanks for joining me today, Sam. How are things in Barcelona? Hey, Dan. Um, things are getting better. Uh, I'm sure you're all following the news. Obviously, it's been a difficult two months where we've not really been allowed to leave the house at all. But yeah, starting at the weekend just gone, this Saturday just gone, people are allowed out uh, in defined time windows to do some exercise or a walk and stuff. So we're taking the first steps back towards towards a normal life, towards the new normal, as everyone's calling it. So hopefully people res- respect the restrictions, don't don't take advantage of being allowed back out and we can sort of keep moving on from there. Yeah, as always, we talk about our thoughts are with everybody, not only in Spain, but around the world as they continue to deal with the pandemic. And as always, I hope we can be a bit of a little distraction from everything going on. Uh, Now, Sam, before we get to any of the news and the players and the things that you're constantly reporting on, I want to talk about the news itself. It seems to be that because of the length of the time that football has been gone, the sensational news and rumors are starting to pop up again as they do in what we call over the summertime in that odd transfer rumor mill where things really kind of get off off a beaten path. But other than your own Twitter, what would you advise Kool-Aid's do to not get sucked into a story without much substance at the moment? I think a good rule for dealing with stories and transfer rumors all the time is just um, take it with a pinch of salt at first. Never never get too hung up on, on, one, on one idea. Obviously, some things seem more likely than other things but don't invest too much in something until it's happened I guess I would say um, regardless of the the, ty- the coronavirus crisis and everything that's going to have has an effect on the on the on the transfer market but then aside from that looking specifically at Barcelona you generally have a good feel of who who is reliable who who knows what's going on who's reported 
on transfers in the past which have happened or things which have happened as opposed to maybe relying too much on I see a lot of people obviously sort of you know saying this this newspaper or this radio show or stuff it tends to be more down to the to the journalists there's good people at Mundo Deportivo there's good people at sport there are I don't think you should define the the journalist by the place they work for. There's lots of good places to get your transfer news if that's what you if that's what you're into. And yeah, just you know, don't get too invested on it. And uh, yeah, know who you can trust or who's reliable. For our podcast, we have a policy. It's twofold. It's one. Well, the easy way is if the club officially, especially for a player, if they have the jersey and the press conference, then usually it's pretty much confirmed. But then part two of that, of course, is if multiple media outlets have been picking it up seemingly from different sources and they aren't just all coming from one individual source on one little Twitter account where you start to ask questions there. But the thing that everybody's reporting as of today is the timeline that the Liga and Barcelona in particular might be having to getting back to training. And that seems to be today's big headline story. Yeah. I mean, that's not even, I think La Liga at half four, they sent a press release around earlier this afternoon, but just gone public at half four um, regarding their process this week so La Liga have assigned a safety official to each club each club has their own one and over the course of today and tomorrow they'll be inspecting the facilities at the at their respective training grounds of the the 42 clubs across the Spanish top top two divisions and then the next step once that inspection is passed is to to commence with the testing of players which they're hoping will take place as early as tomorrow but possibly when well definitely Wednesday and then possibly Thursday depending on on how quick they can they can roll that out this week, and then clubs are then free to take it from there in regards to how they how they approach training. Barcelona's plan is once the tests are done and the results are in, which they hope will be by Friday, um, maybe by this weekend we'll see players heading into the training ground for for individual sessions. Well, that was the next question. Were you expecting players to trickle in over uh, some amount of time, or do you think they are going to spread it out in the way that they are in terms of what players even arrive to the training? ground or is it just going to be social distancing and separating everybody at the same time at the complex so la liga has a has a four phase plan i think it is and the first phase is after the is what the phase zero is the testing and then once the players can come in at first it'll just be individual training they'll be in staggered times i think it's no more than four players sort of in at a time not ne- not necessarily working together but at one time they get changed at home they drive in in the same car they can do some work on the pitch um and stuff and then they head home they shower at home and then that'll be staggered throughout the day so that there's as few players as possible overlapping progressing to in line with the the sort of steps that they have in Spain for getting back to a normal life as well to to small groups by maybe 11th I guess so it's not too long that they'll be training individually groups of four I think at first four players and then two fitness coaches I think it is don't don't quote me on that not 100% and then sort of gradually working up towards the end of May beginning of June full group training with obviously the hope of starting the the season again in in June at stadiums, at the club's home stadiums, but behind closed doors. Well, as has been the case throughout this entire pandemic, testing is the key word here. Testing has always been the key word, whether it was for sports, whether it's for civilians and everybody around the world. Testing has been and continues to be the key. Well, we're going to move on a little bit from the pandemic. And Sam, obviously, as an ESPN correspondent based in Barcelona, you get the news that people really do want to hear about. And there are the big names that we keep hearing in the transfer window and the market that I just want to Briefly talk about each and every one of these players, starting with Lautaro Martinez. It's the first name on everybody's lips this entire year now, this whole season. Another what I would call a saga, a transfer saga for Barca, for a Barca transfer. But how close do you think that deal may have been before the pandemic happened? And how complicated is it now? 
yeah, I think it's quite clear to everyone. I don't think anyone has any doubts that, that Barcelona want Lautaro Martinez. I don't think anyone would think that any stories saying otherwise are are false. Obviously, like you say, the complication now is how can they do that in the current circumstances? And it is going to be difficult and there's going to have to be leeway given from Inter if they're to make the deal happen. Things could play into Barcelona's into Barcelona's court, for example, with Mauro Arcadi. If Inter don't take up their option to sign him, and if sorry, if Paris Saint Germain don't take up their option to sign him, and Inter are left with with Arcadi, they obviously need to bring in money as well. They're not they're not averse from the situation they're in as well, so their finances are going to be hit as well. So it's it's going to have an effect on both sides. Um, but talks are just ongoing; they're just continually ongoing. The relationship between Barcelona and Inter is is good. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people that say. I've seen, you know, journalists and fans say, you know, there's a pandemic going on, finances are being hit. Of course, like this transfer story or that transfer story isn't true. And it might not be, but what is undeniably true is, of course, talks are going on. What do you think sporting directors are doing every day? You think they're just sitting at home going, well, we can't do anything. They're, they're talking with other clubs. They're talking, even if not directly about a transfer, about, you know, formulas, how things are going to be in the in the summer, what's going to be different, about how things are going to change, whether there's going to be longer loan deals and stuff. And, Inter and Barca have had a close relationship for a couple of years now. They've done, I think they've done a couple of loans. I think Rafinha went to Inter. I think there was one other business, piece of business they did, I'm not sure. But they've been in talks about a lot of deals. And obviously there's a lot of Barcelona players that are of interest at Inter as well. Um, so it's about finding that compromise. I mean, it's impossible to say right now. If I had to say, I would say I think they'll find a way to get the Lautaro deal done. I think there's enough willing on both sides for that deal to be done. I think Barcelona have enough people, enough players who are of interest at Inter and to Conte. Obviously, Lautaro is keen for the move to happen. He's an Argentine. South Americans, quite often, their dream is to come to, to Spain, to Barcelona or to Real Madrid. And it's just, it's going to take time. No one's going to want to give up easily. Barcelona are going to want to get the best deal possible. Inter are going to get the best deal possible. And then you throw in the situation, which we don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, it's going to take time. But I think it will happen sooner than later. And it's interesting that, as you mentioned at the start, that it does rely heavily on what happens with a former academy graduate in Mauro Riccardi, who obviously left before he ever made his first team debut, but all of that winds up being, we'll say it's a small world at the top of the football pyramid. But I also want to mention, see, because we're, we're giving a little bit of credence to Lautaro Martinez, and I said we're, it seems to be that everybody's aware of that and there is truth to it. But I think we also need to talk about and speak about Neymar here. When we speak about Messi, we're also speaking about Neymar, and it's no secret that Messi wants his Brazilian friend back. Right, but what is the current state of the relationship between Messi's wish list, his future at the club, and the ability of the club to make such a move? I mean, to me, because Messi is the name that makes all the headlines, you attach it to any. I mean, anybody could. If you've got two hundred followers on Twitter, you can attach it, Messi, to your headline, or or there it is, and it becomes a story. But between what Messi wants, and it's clear that he's given interviews, especially last year in his interview to Sport, he made it clear his desire is to have his friend back. But I think there's also an understanding from the player that this Neymar deal before the pandemic was very, very difficult. And now with the way the finances are going to be, it becomes very, very, I don't know how many varies we can put on this, Sam, but very, 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 very difficult. Not enough, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Messi's primary, what Messi would say primarily is not Neymar, but that he wants a competitive team. He wants good players around him. He wants the strongest possible team. And obviously, he wants to win the Champions League again. He wants to win the Liga every year. And he wants assurances that that's going to be the case this summer, next summer, and for the for the foreseeable future that he's at Barcelona, especially now that he's 33 this summer. I mean, we've not seen 
massive signs of him slowing down or anything. So we can't imagine that you know next season is his last chance or whatever. You, you think he's still got two, three years at least in him at the at the very top level, um, given the consistency he's shown over his career. But yeah, he wants, he needs competitive players around him. The Neymar thing is just so so complicated. Um, I think Messi said it. I don't think it's a secret. I think there was an element of the club showing a desire to sign him last summer and maybe not doing everything that they could to do the deal. Maybe they couldn't financially do the deal, but I don't think there was ever the desire to really sort of push through it. And it all felt a little bit showy, despite the noises they were making. And I think last summer was probably the ideal time to do the deal as well. If he was going to come back, he would have been a year younger. If you're signing him this year, he's 28 now, just turned 28. So he's going to be turning sort of 29 next season. We don't know when next season is going to start because of, because of the crisis. And you'd imagine if the club weren't fully invested in it last summer, are they going to be fully invested in it this summer? Because you know for 100% that Paris Saint-Germain are going to be demanding everything. They're not going to be given any leeway, unlike Inter Milan. Um, and I think that just makes it so complicated. It would have to take a huge, huge, as we see from, you know, in these headlines in Sport and Mundo Deportivo last year and on the radio and stuff. It would take a huge, it really would take a huge gesture from Neymar. You would have to absolutely kick up a first transfer request, come out in the media or something to really sort of, get out of Paris Saint-Germain because they're under no need to sell. They're one club who, uh, I mean, if, obviously it will still depend on financial fair play, but obviously they're one club that's not going to be massively affected by by the crisis just because of the money that their owner can, can put in if done legally and in a way to keep them above board, unlike clubs like Barca who depend on sort of other streams of revenue. So yeah, Neymar is, he's not going to go away. He's, he makes nice headlines, doesn't he? And yeah. I think everything that we see is like a repackage of a story that's already already being told. I don't think there's a lot of new news on, on the Neymar situation. It is how it is. Neymar would like to come back. Players at Barca would like him to come back. Barca would obviously love to have a player that good in their team at any cost. Probably not. Well, I guess it doesn't really go any far beyond Neymar, Messi, the board, the players themselves. If they want Neymar and Neymar wants to come back, then that really is what is decided. However, I have to say, our listener base seems to be quite divided just due to the nature of the way that Neymar left the club in the first place. And I would say, I've always said on this pod that it was almost the first domino and what has happened with the transfer market for Barcelona since he, he, since he left. He really, again, with the amount of money that came in, Coutinho, Dembele, and all those different variables. But what is the feeling from, in particular, I think the socios and those who are going to the stadium, what kind of, I almost say percentage, is it between the different fans on who wants Neymar back and who would rather just kind of take those funds and disperse them amongst a bunch of players that could create the foundation for a future? Yeah, I think like you say with your listeners, I think it's very, very similar. I think it really is split down the middle. Um, and Messi even acknowledged that. He said he understands, you know, there are, there are socios, there are members who who don't like the way he left, don't like the court cases that he's got against the club. And then there are others that see the purely purely sporting issues. Um, and I must admit, I actually do think Neymar is still one of the top top players in the world. There are a lot of people who seem to think because he's gone to PSG and he's not so much in the limelight and he's been injured a lot that he's not. But I still think in terms of players on the market, there's very, very, very few at his level. I think he's probably still on his day in the top five, if not, if not more in the world. Um, I know people would disagree now following his time at PSG. But yeah, it would it would be a tricky situation. But I think even though the socios are split, as we saw with Griezmann, a lot of it is hemmed up. A lot of it is, you know, to to play to the narrative. And a lot of it is forgotten 
once he arrives. If you look at Griezmann, there's all the stuff about the documentary, people saying the players and, and the fans wouldn't be able to, to forgive him. And it's still mentioned from time to time, but it's more of an anecdote, really. It's not something which has hindered him at Barca. He was never really you know, criticised when he joined the club. The fans, there was a few comments, but they were, they were happily enough to turn the page. And I'm sure if Neymar came back and, you know, all these things, like you'd have to take a massive wage cut and obviously drop all the court cases. And as soon as he scores his first goal, I'm sure there wouldn't be any, any concerns among those who are maybe against him coming back. We're going to get back to that conversation with Sam, but first, time for an ad break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Q.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Well, I want to talk about another Brazilian now in Artur. And Artur, he's 23 years old, but Kool-Aids have now been treated for two weeks now of rumors about him potentially leaving the club or being swapped out. Is that, Sam, coming from the fact that Frankie de Jong is untouchable, I think everyone understands that, and Rakitic and Vidal aren't powerful enough pieces in the market that are going to rely on player swaps. And I, I think on top of that too, unfortunately for Artur, I, I think people very rarely do they criticize what's happening on the field with him just because he's so promising. And you saw from the minute he showed up, the way that he had ball retention, possession, all those qualities that he have are terrific for what Kool-Aid's want out of uh, FC Barcelona. But uh, is there something even off the field or fitness that is also affecting Artur? Because I think people always seem to, it happens with Dembele too. It seems like fans, they always connect fitness, which could be issues with lingering injuries or what have you. And they connect that with a a failing of character or a failing of of moral character, which I think is the most upsetting part. But uh, if you just don't mind just setting the record straight a little bit on where he fits in the market, why fans might be hearing those stories, as well as what might have been happening off the field this year that might not necessarily just boil down to character. Yeah, um, I think there are a lot of factors to consider when you talk about Arthur. So the first one on his side of things, even before his statement, He's, his people had been very clear he wants to stay at Barcelona. He does not see himself leaving Barcelona. And then obviously last week, he obviously released a short statement through his through his representatives saying that saying that he wants to stay at Barcelona. He has no plans of leaving. Um, so that's his stance. He's got not looking to move at all. So it's not coming from his side. The second thing is obviously Barca's point of view. In an ideal world, Barca wouldn't be looking to move on after. Like you say, he's young. He's got... He's got attributes which fit their style of play. He's shown promise in his first, I mean, it's not even two seasons at the club. 
But there are other issues. The first one, obviously, which we've talked about, talked about heavily today, is the coronavirus pandemic and the uncertainty that's creating, which has led the club to consider not consider the futures as in they want to sell or there's going to be a fire sale. But if there is interest in a player, they're more likely to listen than they would have been two months ago. So the fact Arthur is one of their players who has a market value, you know, like you say, Rakitic and Vidal are both in their, their early 30s. They're coming to the ends of their deals in 12 months. They don't have a lot of value. So if Barcelona want to bring in money, if they're not going to be able to do swap deals for a Lautaro or for a, or for a, for a Neymar, they're going to have to sell players elsewhere. And Artur is, he's probably a, he's a ring down from, not in terms of value, he's probably, they probably get more for him than Semedo, but he's one of those players that the club have seen as someone who is potentially dispensable for, for the right sum of money. And I guess the next question would be, why would, why would they sell him for 60 million if he's, if he's, you know, if fans, lots of fans obviously think he's, you know, he's, and he is, he is a very good player. He's got very good qualities. He's good on the ball. He's, uh, very Barca style, you know, compared to Javi lots of times early in his career. But there are other lingering issues about certain things. He's started really well at Barcelona and people were really excited at first, but then people kind of felt, maybe not that he stagnated, but they didn't really progress as he should have done. So after that initial burst where everyone was purring and people sort of wanted a little bit more, which never really, really, really happened. Um, at the start of this season, we did see because what people wanted from him was they liked what he was doing in the deeper roles, twisting, turning, keeping the ball, strong on the ball, passing it short, passing it long. But they wanted to see more of him in the final third. And obviously at the start of this season, he didn't have a very good pre-season. Um, came back late because of, I don't know, the Copa America. So he was late. He didn't really feature on the tour of, of the States. So he was sort of late getting into his rhythm. Um, but then when he came back at the, I guess, at the end of October, beginning of September, he contributed really higher up the pitch, scored a couple of goals, set up a couple of goals. And we were thinking, yeah, this is this is the new alpha. But then again, he sort of, you know, he didn't really kick on from there as in the first season. And there have been injuries in both of his seasons, which have been lingering, which have also raised, raised further doubts. And then the other thing you mentioned, which there are some concerns about the club is, you know, behavioural issues. He is one of the one of the players, you can't really say too much, but he is one of the players whose behaviour off the pitch hasn't always been exemplary um, and there have been examples of that that's not just speculation for example when before the Classico in February he went to last February 2019 he went to Paris for Neymar's birthday um, so there have been concerns about you know that that Brazilian love for life as well um, I haven't been told that that's a factor in why they're considering why they would consider selling him but it's another thing that clubs think of when they think look Arthur where's he going and I'm sure Bass will have had that conversation that they've said, look, Arthur, is he, how's his life off the field? How's he doing on the pitch? What's his injury history? How's he, how's he progressing there? All these things would have been considered. And if there are any doubts in any of the areas, then they're obviously going to be more willing to sell him. And like you say, one of the, another big factor is obviously the signing of Frankie de Jong, who's coming this season, who is obviously, Frankie's going nowhere. He's obviously here to stay. There have been, I think it's been unfair criticism of his performance this season but I think we're going to see a lot more from Frankie and the club obviously obviously think that as well and there are a few more players more professional and uh, more motivated and more dedicated than than Frankie. I think that's a great way the way you said the Brazilian love for life and that is true and I think Barcelona knows that the history between Brazilian footballers and the club itself when you talk 
Rivaldo, Romario, Ronaldinho, and those were forwards. And it's a different thing when it comes to forwards because not only are you, when you purchase those kind of players, you're purchasing goals and you're purchasing the prestige. And obviously, if they score the goals, they have their life off the field as well. And so it's a little bit different for a midfielder. But I, I do like the way you say that in Brazilian love of life. It is certainly something always to be considered. It seems to always be a factor. And I want to just stick on that. And I've agreed with you, and it's easy to be right. When when Frankie de Jong was playing for Ajax at such a high level, that he was one of those players where I, I think of anybody over the last 10 years that I've been really cranky about. I think I even wrote a piece when it looked like he was going to PSG about how my heart was broken and, and, that, and, all, and all those different things. But as far as you mentioned Arthur and Arthur going into the final third, right? That Sergio Busquets, for however many years, he is still going to be a, a first-teamer and in the headlines, as well as Frank de Young fi- trying to figure out where his best position might be, both in the short term, which seems to be in that, that center-right interior, as opposed to defensive midfield spot where he played at Ajax. But then you have Arthur, who at Gremio had also played as a defensive midfielder and had orchestrated in that way, but he obviously is now being pushed forward to that left interior spot. Where do you think, and even fitting in a Carlos Alenia, maybe a Ricky Puj, who obviously all the fans and people are pining for because he's still the future, yet you blink and he's almost 22 already. So as much as we talk about Ricky Puj as the future, things are starting to happen. But how do you think that midfield is going to continue to shake out, not even for the rest of this season, whatever football is left, but as far as next season and moving forward, what the game plan might be for the future? Yeah, I mean, I think for the rest of this season and next season especially, I think there's more... Plenty more football in Busquets, especially under Setien. They have a good relationship. Um, I think Busquets has improved slightly under under Setien. Um, I think he's still a central part of the team. So, like you say, that defensive midfield role is his. Um, it's the role I prefer to see Frankie de Jong in personally. It's where I think he's at his best. I think it's where we see him in the in the long term. I'd even go as far as to say as in the post-Messi years where people always saying, how do you replace Messi? Obviously, you don't replace Messi. You sort of, I would look to sort of build a team around sort of maybe even Frankie de Jong in that role and start from there as opposed to trying to replace Messi or replace someone of that ilk in the attack because that's just not going to happen. But in the short term, yes, it has been frustrating, I think, to watch Frankie de Jong and I think for him as well because obviously he's been shifted around positions Um We've seen glimpses when he's played really good, really well in that interior role, like away against Real Betis and in, in certain games or other games when he's sort of, the game has passed him by a little bit. But I think that, I think that we, he's going to get better and better and better, whether he's playing as, as an interior or in, or in a deeper role. We're going to see, see more and more of De Jong. I think we're going to see more of those Betis performances. He's someone who is committed to improving. So even if it's not something he thinks is particularly his skill, I think we're going to see him getting better and better going forward, trying more. In terms of in terms of that side of his game, um, so I think him and Busquets are sort of the mainstays. For I mean, it's, it's not going out on a limb saying that. I think everyone everyone knows that those two, as long as Setien continues, are going to be the key parts of the midfield. And then it's finding if they stick with the four three three, who fits in there alongside them. Uh, and like you say, there are there are loads of options. And I guess that's also another factor when they're thinking about Artur. I think it's time to. I mean, I, I don't have any problems with either of them, but it's time to forget beyond this season, really, Vidal and Rakitic in terms of their ages, their contract situations and what they can offer now. More than anything, just because it's time, I think, to give the younger guys a chance. And Ricky Pooj, like you say, Carlos Selenia, Artur, if he stays. Yeah, that is the problem for Barcelona, those interiors, because on paper, they have a lot of good players who can play it. But the two players who it's most natural for, well, I guess there's sort of two, two and two. So you've got, Frankie and Arthur, 
who are the young guys, but maybe like you say, they're probably better. Not they're not out and out interiors. They're they sort of be better maybe in like a double pivot alongside Busquets or or in the Busquets role. Then you've got Elenia, who's obviously out on loan at the moment, and Pujus with the B team. But they're sort of natural in that interior role. They've sort of come through the Barca Academy playing that position. Um, but they're obviously young, untested, unexperienced, and you don't sort of know whether they're they're capable of playing week in, week out at the top level yet. And then the other two, obviously Vidal and Rakitic, who are obviously brilliant in that role, but are coming towards the end of their careers and don't have yeah, don't have they certainly don't have more than twelve months left in them at Barcelona beyond beyond this summer. Yeah, for certain. Uh, Sam, we have a few more questions for you. Just a few, but I think I want to go in the weeds here a little bit. I, for one, have I think that Jean-Claude Tadibo is a phenomenal player and one of the best center back prospects that Barca have had in quite some time, even though we did see him in limited action. And he was sent to Schalke in a deal that I guess makes more sense now that Schalke's funds may be limited, but obviously nobody knew that when the deal was done. But he's still rumored to be more likely sold than return. Am I and other Tadebo fans overrating the player, in your opinion, or taking for granted that he is a talent that can be cheaply replaced on the market or with a Ronald Araujo or one of the other prospects for Barcelona B, even though, and I say that with the uh, with the understanding that Chumi and Cuenca and some of the guys that have been around Barca B, their center backs for a while, aren't really seen with such high esteem at this point. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, I wouldn't disagree. I really like what I've seen of Tadebo. I think I saw him make his debut in Sabadell last around this time last year, actually, in the Catalan Super Cup. He played the first half as a holding midfielder, um, which obviously sort of speaks volumes about how good he is on the ball to be able to play that role and to be trusted in that role, even though it was a glorified friendly, really. Apologies to anyone who loves the Catalan Super Cup. But and he did well there. And obviously, when he played a couple of times, he looked good. But it's just... It's such a small sample size. It's really, really hard to to know how good he how good he is or how good he could be. I think maybe if Setien had had been had taken over earlier, maybe he wouldn't have gone gone to Schalke. Maybe they'd have kept him around. But you understand also the need for him to play football. Obviously, the problem is he's got three defenders ahead of him who are who and who he's not going to displace at this moment in time. He's going to get very few minutes at Barcelona. He quite clearly wasn't trusted um, to play in place of Pique. So as a Barcelona, as Barcelona fans, I guess you have to you have to trust the people making the decisions, even though there's not always a lot of reason to trust them given decisions they've made in the past. I mean, I guess comparable in one way is the Yerry Mina deal, which is maybe what the club are looking at. They made a quick buck there, and one of the things the club are looking to do is you know invest in players cheap from South America or out of contract players or young players, and then move them on for more than they sold them for to invest elsewhere because obviously they need to find money from somewhere they constantly need to find money um so the Tadebo one is a really really difficult one to judge and it's almost been a wasted season really because I certainly think that there have been times earlier in the season maybe when Pika could have been rested more and you could play him at home to to one of the smaller clubs it looks really unlikely in the current climate that they will that they will give him another chance to camp now I just think just because he does seem to have a market. He does seem to have a value. I think twenty-five. I think you're looking at twenty, twenty-five million. And if Barca would Barca pay twenty to twenty-five million from now, you'd have to say no. So I think maybe they're looking at it from not so much that they don't rate him or they don't think he could succeed, but more from it's going to it's more of a gamble to pay that than to take it right now. So if I think Everton were linked last week, and Everton paid twenty-five million, that's a big gamble for them to take on a on a young on a young defender who's who's not done a lot in the 
at the top level yet. But yeah, really tricky one. He's obviously got bags of talent, uh, great ball playing defender in contrast to Yeri Menina, whose strengths were in the air and dancing. So yeah, we'll have to see what happens. I, I agree with you. I like I like the look of him. I would try and make room for him if I was involved in the planning at Barcelona. But again, with Arthur, there are so many factors to consider beyond what we see from maybe you know initial outrage on on Twitter when things when things happen. Um, so yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, that's a tremendous point too. That for a player that has played, I believe, less than twenty first team matches all time, and that's considering his ten matches at Toulouse before his contract was. Well, he said that he was leaving, and then Toulouse took him out of the lineup in, what was it, October uh, of now two seasons ago. And it's also important to note, as you mentioned, the timeline as well, about the timeline of, of players and where they would be replacing somebody. And I think that brings us to our last Barca-related question. And the question of the timeline for Barca's season clearly was that Martin Braithwaite was more important to be brought in than any player that might have replaced him. And obviously it rubbed a lot of people in Spain the wrong way with what that did to Leganes and where that put them in with their season. But you also spoke to Braithwaite in, in, in the recent weeks. And what can, I think, Kool-Aid's make of that Martin Braithwaite deal? But, I, I mean, he seems to be an upstanding guy as far as his character. And he also seems on the field to be the kind of energetic, experienced player that Barca need in big, big moments. But with this pandemic, immediately you have to wonder, does he have a future at the club? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can look at that question, that last question, two ways, because I guess the pandemic is also going to force them to tighten tighten their finances elsewhere so maybe it will end up playing into to Brathwaite's hands if we hadn't had this pandemic maybe they would have gone out this summer and been able to sign Lautaro, Neymar, someone else and then he really would have had no future but maybe because of this situation they'll be able to sign one or maybe they'll have to wait and not sign either and maybe they'll have to keep keep Brathwaite around yeah and like you say I spoke to I spoke to Martin last week and he's really I think he has really impressed since he came to Barcelona um he certainly impressed me I wasn't quite expecting him to come across and to play as he has based on A, what I'd seen at Leganes and B, what I'd heard at Middlesbrough, um, where obviously played in England, had a really bad time, didn't make an impression at all, left on bad terms with the manager. And that's not even a big English club. So you're thinking, what's going on here? But yeah, I mean, he's been, I thought he played quite well when he obviously helped out two goals when he came on against Eibar, had a great chance when he came on in the Clasico just from his running in behind. Maybe could have done a bit more tracking on the goal. And then against Real Sociedad in the first half, I thought he was probably one of Barca's top two, three players. He was making runs. He seemed to have a relationship with Messi, getting on getting on balls in behind the defence. And looked like he, he certainly didn't look out of place, which is what many passing observers might have thought when they were saying, who's this guy Barca have signed? And above all, he seems to have bags of belief. Um, bags of confidence seems to be like Frankie de Jong another one who's massively dedicated and sometimes you get that with players when they get to this stage of career and I mean he's had a decent career by by most people's standards it's not like the Jamie Vardy story where you've come from non-league you know he's been playing in the big teams in France for a, a, a decent sized team in England he was playing in La Liga he's not just been plucked from non-league but he's had to work really hard for his for his chance here and he's going to give his all to make sure he, he tries to take it obviously He's probably not quite at the level that that Barca need in terms of you know that quality for the front three week in week out. But does he have a role to play when there are injuries, when there are suspensions against smaller teams? You know, can be an important player, and I think sometimes it's underestimated how much importance a player like that can have, who is happy to take on that role, who's maybe not going to start every week. Because having four or five players who want to start every week 
you know, Neymar, Messi, Suarez, Lautaro, Dembele say they're not going to be happy sitting on the bench. Whereas I think Brathwaite's a player who can offer something who, yeah, could be a good squad passer, could could be a good squad player for Barca moving forward, you know, in a way that, I mean, obviously he's nowhere near the level that Pedro was when he was at Barca, when he was at his peak, but in the way that Pedro was, you know, sort of happy to be in that first year, that sort of, that fourth player behind Suarez, Messi and Neymar, that sort of role. Because um, Barca have lacked that in in recent years. They've been so dependent on on the front three and often when one of them has been injured, they've been forced to sort of play Arturo Vidal or Sergio Roberto or players out of position. Um, obviously, the other, the other problem is that does mean a lack of faith in the academy because there are other players who could have who could have played there, you know, Collado or obviously Ansu Fati is playing. But the fact of the matter is they weren't playing before Brathwaite. Um, so it's not Brathwaite's problem. It's um, to do with the club's planning. Uh, I think Bojan Kerkic wrote an article about it in, in sport a couple of weeks ago about how a lot of the things Barca have done recently have been reactive and not from following a plan. Um, they haven't had many plans in place and that's what led them down the Brathwaite path. So, yeah, I think there's criticism for the club in that sense in terms of planning. But I think everything that I've seen from Brathwaite, just speaking from him aside from the deal, has been has been positive. And I think he's been, I think he's actually been the breath of fresh air in and around the club. So, yeah, I mean, I hope it works out for him, if not at Barca, then, then elsewhere. And hopefully this move does well for him. Gonna be, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how he does. It's a shame that he was cut short after just three games because he was looking like he could really have an impact in some sort of way in, in the league. Yeah, I completely agree that he had when the signing happened, and this is not taking into account what happened and what that did to Leganes by losing their starting striker and most arguably their best player of the season. But it was a deal that almost reminded me of Paulinho, where I really did think there was doom and gloom coming because of the talent of the player. But you're absolutely right. By looking at a player just by what they seem to be bringing in in terms of their past record and talent, it doesn't tell you the whole story because he might be pushing other players in training that enhances their performances, where you've had a core of the team for so, so long. It can be difficult difficult from training to training session to really take your level up to that next that next level. I mean, and it's just to be redundant, but then for Kike Setien being a newer manager, it's also on him, obviously, to push the team forward. So, Sam, before we let you go, I, I want to ask a non-Barca-related question, because for those who might know you, they know that you're not necessarily an FC Barcelona fan, even though you do cover the team. But I would ask you, do you recommend Kool-Aid's or listeners of this podcast to learn a thing or two about English football with a team like, uh, like you say, a Burnley, maybe? <laughs> I recommend them all to, to follow Burnley, yeah? They have um, very similar colours, but they're um, very, very far away from the, from the philosophy. I'd say they're almost the polar opposite. They're almost like the Atletico Madrid of the Premier League. So if you're, if you're after philosophy, then unfortunately I would have to say... Don't go for Burnley, but if you're after if you're after history and a club that pulls together and a nice story and you know it's a club that is built on on the right grounds on the right basis that is run by good people by local people that doesn't spend beyond as it means then yeah you should definitely you could definitely get involved with Burnley that would definitely be good. You see it a lot with FC Barcelona, and I think not just them, but every team that is now a global franchise, whether it's Bayern Munich or Manchester United, where those types of fans seem to have a second, a backup club that does have the feelings, as you mentioned about Burnley, where they are, it feels like a hometown team. And I would always ask people, and the way you explained it too, to support their home clubs, their hometown teams as well as they do FC Barcelona. I think the, the thing with supporting Burnley has always been because... 
even though my dad was from Burnley and I grew up supporting Burnley, I didn't live in Burnley. So I always grew up around people that supported big, big clubs. And I could never imagine now being a supporter of a big club, you know, when there's such a huge, I mean, with the internet and stuff, obviously there's loads of Burnley fans about and stuff. And I go to loads of games when I was younger and you get to know Burnley fans, but in general, you're not part of like this massive collective where everyone has got opinion on your team. And it's sort of like you sort of, it's almost like you own it a little bit more, if that makes sense. Like, cause you're such, you're the one of the few people that are so knowledgeable in the situation and, and know what's going on at the club. And yeah, they're a great club. This week is 60 years since we won the English title. So been using the lockdown to reminisce about that. Yeah, I did see that. And you could tell more than anybody else, obviously, on, on, on Twitter as we're about to let you go, that there's a lot of 14 and 15-year-olds behind a keyboard that know more than we do, I think, Sam. Yeah, well, I would. There probably are a lot of 14 or 15-year-olds that do know a lot more than me. So I say that with complete sincerity. <laughs> um, yeah, some people just need to maybe be a little bit more restrained in offering their opinions, but they're all valid. And a lot of them, lots of people do know much more than me. I think there's a misconception sometimes that because you you work in something or you know something or you support something that you're the absolute pivotal in terms of knowing about it. But lots of people will know more than me or will have even seen more of me, like you say about, just to use an example, Tadebo, there's probably Barca fans that have seen all of Tadebo's games or and sort of been, like I've not seen him play for Schalke, for example. I've just read reports and stuff or little things like that. So I'm sure there are people that, no, no much more than me. Well, Sam, I think you leave on a terrifically humble note, and I would ask for people to follow you everywhere they can follow you, but I have to ask you too, where exactly is that? Other than Twitter, where can people find all of the work that you're doing? Well, no, just, yeah, just mainly just on Twitter, on ESPN. Um, yeah, <laughs> not many places to follow me. I'm not very active other than, other than those two places. Yeah, just, just follow on there and follow the podcast. Well, we'll have that down in the description below that people can find, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening uh, via any of the podcasting apps. So, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. And, I, I, again, I appreciate the time that you took all the way from Barcelona. And thank you so much to the listeners for joining in again for another edition of the podcast. Find everything down in the description there. And until next week, Forza Barca. Barca.